When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to Tuesday Trots Live with Jason Bonington on SEN Track. Join the conversation today and text us on 0499 736 736. Hello and welcome to day two of Breeders Week. And uh, what a privilege this is. I'm in Gareth Hall's studio. Wow. Really going up in the world. What a weird... He's got to get that picture changed. I'm telling you, that's... that's a creepy picture he's got going. Giddy up with Gareth Hall, and he just looks like he's seen something. He's just sort of got the head down. and <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, Breeders Week. Day one was a lot of fun. We did the Metrospective Review with Steve Cleave, but also we got the party started. Uh, the president of Harness Breeders Victoria, Nick Cooper, joined us. And Gary Withers, what a wonderful chat he was, talking about Hurricane Hustler and an extended history in the game from a breeding perspective. But... We've done Next Level today. We've got four different uh, guests, interviews. Greg Gangle is going to give us a North American influence. He's down here in Australia now running the Riverina Paceway as the Chief Executive Officer. Something I'll never be, I don't think. Wouldn't want to be, I don't think. Uh, but he's uh, he's a man who's got a great history in the game, loves breeding. He can talk to us about the North American influence, um, his personal passion for breeding, and what he sees going down in Australia at the moment. Clayton Tonkin. Not renowned, despite being um, arguably the biggest name in the game here in Victoria and uh, possibly even Australia-wide. Not from a breeding perspective, but the best eye in the game at the yearling sales. And a guy, at least mythically, I've heard stories about him staying up hours and hours into the wee witching hours of the night doing golden crosses and trying to work out which breeds are going to get him his next champion. And he has... He and Emma Stewart have champions uh, virtually every year or pseudo-champions every year. They've certainly got the game virtually clocked. Then in the second hour, Mark Barton from Nutrien. Um, There'll be no uh, Victorian sale. I think this is well known now. APG won't be having a Victorian sale. So Nutrien have sort of, there was a little war and now it feels like the war is over. And Nutrien, um, they, they run a very, very good sale in Victoria straight after the Hunter Cup. And uh, we'll be talking to Mark Barton about the future for them. And also on the back of um, those new race uh, series for the young horses that were up at Tabcorp Park Manangle a couple of weeks ago. Then, Tate McKinnon's there and uh, Gareth Hall's about to play some basketball. <laughs> Interesting. He's got a corduroy jacket on. Um, and the last guest today will be Karen Brecken from Brecken Bloodstock. Uh, amazingly well-known across the ditch and... They're very happy people, Ken and Karen. So that must mean, even though breeding is one of the hardest things to do in the game, it must be a game where you can have a smile on your dial. Now, quick little, uh, no, no breezing with Bond, but a quick dissertation here before we go to the first break. A couple of people have asked me, why is there a Breeders' Week? And we don't do it for anything else. So like, There's no Owners' Week, there's no Trainers' Week, there's no dry. I'll tell you why. There's a couple of reasons. One, 
Harness Breeders Victoria, uh, Nick Hooper and Jess Tubbs in particular, have totally driven this. This was not my idea. I love doing it. I'm so wrapped that we're in our third year of doing Breeders Week. But they took the initiative. And if anybody else in the industry has something they want to do and they want to contact me, there's every chance I probably won't call back. We know that. But there's ways of getting to me, uh, maybe through flares or smoke signals. I'm very happy to cover off uh, a week or a few days on any other aspect of the industry if uh, we so desire. And the other thing is drivers get celebrated regularly, the big dogs, the Greg Sugars, the Chris Alfords, the Nathan Jacks. Uh, trainers, the Luke McCarthy's, the Gary Hall Juniors, the uh, the Emma Stewart's, they get celebrated. The Andy Gaths, the David Aikens. Breeders are the unsung heroes of the industry, and they probably do see themselves in that way as the cornerstone of the game. But they do so in the shadows, in a little bit of silence, and it can't really go on that way because we need to broaden the church, just like we do in all areas of racing, certainly harness racing. We need to get more people involved, interested, because the current group of breeders, wonderful as they are, holding up the sport the way they do, can't do it alone. Without horses, there's no racing. Without racing, there's no betting. Without turnover, there's no prize money. And without prize money, there's no game. So it's a circle. And if you don't start with breeding the animals that are going to go out there on the track and race seven days a week, then we can't go forward. So breeding is an amazingly, incredibly, magnificently integral part of this sport. And we should celebrate it. And there's probably a strong argument to suggest, A, it's not celebrated enough, and B, potentially sometimes taken totally for granted and even uh, even perhaps disrespected at some levels. Um, they're the low-hanging fruit sometimes when you want to throw in a tax or make things difficult. Um, the breeders are always there and ready and they cop it on the chin. But um, this week's all about celebrating them. But not only that, it's an educational week, isn't it? So... This is for people who might want to get involved in breeding, people who are already involved in breeding as members of Harness Breeders Victoria, those people who might not know about some of the great initiatives that are coming in the future. We'll talk to Clayton Tonkin about Vic Bread Pure. He's uh, a man that's been very passionate. Karen Breckett will be in the same boat. So Colonial Stallions now, there's going to be a new race series which reward Colonial Stallions, um, Clayton Tonkin and Emma Stewart have been very big all the way back to Safari of, of keeping their horses complete, keeping entires and stallions to ensure they can contribute to that part of the industry because uh, we've really relied very heavily in pacing on North American blood for a number of years and in trotting, now the influx of that European blood. But once, once we've now got it and we've got the sons of these great horses, like your betters delights, like your art majors, all the way back to in the pocket – or uh, from a, a, a trotting breeding perspective, there's a whole other group of, uh, of great stallions that we've had, then you need to use your own because the sons of the legends have got every opportunity to be just as good or certainly contribute heavily towards the industry. And it sustains us in a way that we can't if we don't have that colonial stallion influence. So uh, we'll be talking to Stephen Bell, I think actually the Wombat, I think he's in the house, Toby McKinnon, we'll be talking through that Um with uh, with a couple of guests, Stephen Bell in particular, the general manager of racing at Harness Racing Victoria, tomorrow, I reckon. But we'll be talking uh, about that very fact with Karen Brecken and also Clayton Tonkin today. But I'm really excited to talk to Greg Gangle 
First up, um, I reckon, I don't want to make an awkward radio interview. I reckon I've met him a few times. He's come down here. Um, I think the, there was a family connection to Australia. He was working at Woodbine. He's got a great uh, Canadian North American heritage. He's still got broodmares up there in Canada, but came down here looking for the right gig, and he found it at the Riverina Paceway with um, with the CEO role, and he's doing a magnificent job, loves the game. So looking forward to talking to him first up, and we might even reveal, if I'm allowed to, I don't worry about whether I'm allowed to, do I? I'm just going to reveal it. There's going to be a very special North American guest on Friday morning. We had Yannick Jingra, the Green Hornet, talk to us on Friday morning last year at the end of Breeders' Week. This year, I'm just going to say it, Timmy Tietrick, unbelievable. Cannot wait. Time for our first break on this edition of Trot's Life. Day two of Breeders' Week on SEN Track. When we come back, our first guest, Greg Gangle. You're listening to Tuesday Trot's Life with Jason Bonington. Well, it's the um, it's a theme song for um, SEN Track. Let me entertain you. That's what it is. Yeah, let me entertain you. Straight from the Zozo Magogo playlist. Would you believe? I didn't know she was a Robbie Williams fan, but there you go. Probably doesn't shock me a hell of a lot, I've got to say. Breeders' Week, day two. First guest of day two is a man who's living in the diaspora. Uh, Canadian native, now down and doing great work as a chief executive of the Riverina Paceway. Greg Gangle, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is this is pretty exciting because we get to learn what we want to do throughout the course of the week. We're going to have a European guest. We're going to have Timmy Tietrick, I'm told. Probably shouldn't have revealed that just in case it's not locked. I think it's locked in for Friday, which is going to be very exciting. But learning a little bit about breeding from around the world. And we know, you being a Canadian native, the North American influence on Australasian racing has just been extraordinary over the years, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been unbelievable. Um, you know, you look at the likes of what Lazarus did in North America, um, you know, Sheraton on the on the mare side, and uh, you look at any type of program, whether it be at Yonkers or the Meadowlands or, or Mohawk Park, uh, you know, a vast majority of the horses are, are born and raised down under. So I think it's just a testament to the product and how well it, it does not only down under, but uh, globally, Jason. Now, you've got, um, you've got a personal passion. You're a which often happens in racing and particularly harness racing. You're a renaissance man, a polymath, somebody who's been involved in a variety of roles. You're the chief executive now at Riverina Paceway. You've been in media comms. You've been a presenter. You've been a racing manager, but you've got this peculiar passion for breeding. And like many things in racing, Greg, once you get a, a, a passion for it, and, and I would say breeding is right at the top level of the tree here. Once you get a passion for breeding, it gets into your blood and that's the end of the story. Yeah, it's almost addictive, Jason. You're you're 100% right. Uh, you know, my dad growing up, uh, he was a hobby trainer and always had a couple mares. And I didn't really take initially. I didn't really take uh, to training too much, but it was it was the breeding side of things that really caught my eye initially. And yeah, you know what? Years later, still following the breed very closely. I mean, it's changed uh, in so many different ways. Uh, you know, our, our speed's getting uh, stronger and stronger and faster and faster. 
Um, but yeah, that was the one thing that probably really sunk me into really enjoying the game of racing was the breeding side. And then it, it just kind of explored from there, as you mentioned, into a couple different roles uh, in the last uh, in the last decade. So what, what was your pathway? So I'm thinking about a 15, 16 year old kid now who's got a family involvement in harness racing or just loves the game for whatever reason they love the game. And they they too find themselves looking up stallions looking up brood mares and and wondering what it would be like to breed a horse what is the what was your particular pathway from being excited about that area of the industry to really getting involved in it properly yeah it's a great question i, I always say that you know you, you always want to have skin in the game yeah uh, that, that, that's my personal take and you know, I, I follow the breed quite closely, and it all started just a few years ago, where I I, I came across a mare that I thought was um, was almost like a home run mare, and um, it was I, I bought her, um, bred her to Better's Delight back home, and uh, that first foal sold in the U.S. Um, this roughly this time last year uh, for just under fifty thousand American. So that for me was um i don't want to say a game changer but that really uh said okay let, let's keep going and doing and and do this because I, it's so rewarding to have success right off the get-go um and then it just kind of snowballed from there where we have a couple mares uh in in north america at, at this point in time so but to answer your question it was all about having skin in the game and, and just being a part of the journey um i i think that's the most rewarding part is you know you you select that mare you select that 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 stallion and and hopefully you can produce a great product that's in demand um and you're always trying to improve your breed and things like that but uh you know you're looking for that magical cross and and, and at the end of the day trying to um provide a product that um is in demand with what people want now I'm not, um, so I, I, I just don't want to bury the lady here because you've said the home run mare and i want to know and i think everybody who's getting into breeding wants to know what does that look like greg it can look like a lot of different things. Um, you know, that, that home run mare to me, and everybody has their own little take on breeding of, you know, what works and what doesn't, what suits them and what, what you know, what doesn't. Um, for me, it's consistency in the maternal line. Um, you're seeing a lot, of, a lot of mares that may not have raced or raced on the track, but were just average racehorses that have gone on to be great brood mares. Um, that's the case in North America. That's the case down here. But you got to find something that, uh, in your opinion, is something that you could cross that mare with that it's going to produce. Uh, you, you see what Art Major has done down here as a broodmare sire, uh, and, and the Arts Place line is, is phenomenal. Um, so you want to find those type of type of horses. But for me particularly, I need to see a lot of consistency in that maternal line. That That's the type of home run, home run mare for me. I don't really, it's not my cup of tea just to see a mare that, you know, she won 300000 but she's got n- nothing to back it up in terms of, uh, um, a maternal line. So for me, it's the consistency on the page. I'll tell you one thing that I've uh, I've had great admiration for. Um, Bruce and Craig Cameron did it here with Larry Kea later, uh, Lady and uh, and Peter Gleason, and um, you've seen Mark Lee and Jason Lee and Patty Lee and the the entire Lee clan in Terang and Victoria do this. Being um, ambitious enough to go out there, and I think this is what you're talking about, is to get that mayor that's going to be a foundation mare for the rest of your your breeding, basically. So if you get one with that great maternal line, you've got the hope that it's going to continue or the expectation that really instead of going out and having to buy a bunch of new, uh, uh, new mares every year, which, look, if you want to do that, some people get addicted to the idea of going out there and, and purchasing new brood mares. But if you want to have one big investment 
have it at the start, I reckon, Greg, because you might be able to get something that creates a, a dynasty and a lineage that you can rely upon all the way back to that first one that you got hold of. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, at the present time, Jason, I um, I have one broodmare uh, in Australia, and um, it comes from the uh, – she's a sister to Tango and with Sierra, who you will know quite well yeah. with the um, – with that type of family down in Victoria. So um, you talk about that foundation type of mare where uh, her mother, Sierra Tango, I think is just that, where she's had, I don't know, I think three foals and, and the first three of them have over 100,000 made in, in Group 1 winners. So, um, you know, hopefully the trend will continue. We'll find out soon enough. But, uh, you know, when you find that that winning branch off that maternal line, you just want to grab, grab a hold of that and be a part of that because if you don't, um, you know, there's going to be another breeding establishment that's going to be right behind you that wants to grab it as well. So that's what makes the game so great. It's a competitiveness and, and finding those niche type of mares that hopefully can keep that uh, that maternal branch keep going. Is it a real thing? I'm assuming it is, Greg, that because that entire family, I know that family really well, and Sierra Tango has pretty much exclusively had fillies, and they've all been very, very talented. Is there a, a thing in breeding where the fillies all go well and the colts and geldings don't go as well. Uh, and personally for you, when you're looking at keeping and selling, are you always looking at wanting to sell as a breeder or are you looking and saying, okay, if I get a filly from this one, if I get a colt and gelding, you've got different attitudes? Yeah, no, I, I me personally, I, I, I am buying to, to sell at the sales. I, I bought this mare to sell at the sales. Um, and for me, I'm buying to sell commercially. Um, I don't really want to be the, the person that kind of picks and chooses when they sell every year because, or if they keep them or sell them because um, I, I just want to be exclusive um, where people know that if, if they're buying off something that I've, that I've raised, that it, it, it's, it's on the market. Um, and that's the way it really is in North America. So I kind of want to keep that trend down here. Um, and you are hundred percent right. Uh, you know, Sierra Tango, she's produced pretty much nothing but Phillies. I don't even think she's had a cold yet um, from about five or six folds. Um, you know, I don't really read too much into that because if it, if it does throw a colt where, um, you know, it remains to be seen what will happen. But you do see a lot of maternal lines where the fillies have far outproduced the colts uh, for whatever reason. Um, so I think some people read into that. Some people don't. I think it really just depends who you ask. Have you been um, uh, a little bit surprised or staggered by the move? I know we've had a lot of North American stallions and they've dominated the industry for a long time down under here. But there's been a huge movement toward that style of racing. We see it at Tabcorp Park, Menangle all the time, just up the road from you. And people are breeding for speed more and more and more. Is this something that was totally predictable and something that you focus on as well? And that I guess you've enjoyed watching the transition of that North American style of racing um, have a greater influence down under? Or has, has it been a bit of a shock? No, no, I, th- I think the writing was on the wall. Um, you know, the, the North American breed is, 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 is sheer speed. There's no two ways about it. And, and that's what's really happened uh, uh, down here in the, last, in the last decade, ever since you're really starting to see the betters delights on the dam side and the art majors and the arts place, you know, crossing with the beaches and the American ideals and things like that. Because essentially, as time goes on, you're getting more and more of that North American pedigree and uh, on, on, on the pages down here. So, um, the only difference is, Jace, that I will say is, the, is what really I know is the big difference is, is the second quarters, whether it be at Melton or Menangle, where, um, you know, you're seeing that 30, 31 second breather, where back home you're seeing, you know, 28, 29. Um, so 
I think that's going to change. I think the style is, is, is of racing is even changing now, even more North American, where you're not seeing as many horses, uh, you know, sit in the depth and, and have to kind of have their horses a little bit better positioned because um, it's a speed-oriented game. I think you're starting to see a lot of races now over the shorter distance versus the long distance because, um, you know, speed is the name of the game. It's absolutely incredible the times that, uh, that they're running. And that's only going to, that's only going to continue. Um, you know, records are meant to be broken and, um, you know, that, that's just the lay of the land. Is that, is that, you know, we've got two different sides of the game here. So there's, there's trotting and there's pacing, but from the pacing side of things, is that the way we globalize the sport? I mean, everyone talks about these magical marks. Uh, 150 is what everyone wants to break. And we see it happen, or we have seen it for, you know, a few generations happen in North America. And now it's starting to happen down here. Is that the way we... Is that the way we move forward, that we're virtually cast into a situation where breeding, we're racing, everything has to be based on speed? Well, time only means something if you're in jail. Um, <laughs> I always look at it as, as, who, you, as who you beat. I, I think that's the most important thing. Um, you know, if you, win a, if you win a race in 48 at an angle, that, that's a great feat. But if you beat King of Swing in 49, I think that's, that's more important. Um, that, that's just my take on it. But um, overall, you know, the punter, the breeder, everybody, the first thing that they look at on, on anything is, is, you know, what's the mile rate? Um, how fast did they go? Uh, you know, the punter. Uh, is especially, you know, everything that you mentioned is is speed oriented, and it's going to continue to drop. and And you're looking at these North American sires, um, and they're fitting in beautifully. And it's even creating a big demand to see, you know, the, the times that they're going because, you know, there there's a massive market for down under horses in North America. Um, you know, you see horses exported every day to Yonkers, the Meadowlands, and Mohawk for that very reason is because the down under product is getting better and better um, on the global scale. And it's no hidden secret anymore. Um, there's a lot of people in North America that base their, um, you know, base their business around importing down under horses because it, it's been a proven um, uh, a positive result. So it, it's going to continue. Now, we've gone through the educational stuff. Let's get to a little bit of fun stuff. Who's your favorite horse of all time, Greg? And who's your favorite stallion? Ooh, that's a it's a tough question, Jace. I, I I'd have to go with Sun Beach somewhere um, as probably my favorite horse of all time. I um, back in Canada, I, I followed him quite closely when I was when I was working in the media at uh, Woodbine Mohawk Park, and we literally knew everything that horse did that day, other than what he had for breakfast. I mean, it, it, we were around that horse twenty four seven, and he was just. I mean, if there if there ever was a, a perfect horse, it was him. And uh, obviously, uh, it's really sad that he passed on um, before his time was really up. But uh, his, his remark is not only on the track, but also what he's done as a, as a stallion. Um, you know, it's going to be a line down here in North America that it's going to be well sought after for decades to come. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing, you know, horses here, you know, Majida, Hon- Honolulu Bay, um, Bondi Lockdown. You know, the list goes on of just absolute superstars. And then obviously he's produced the likes of Captain Treacherous and Down by the Seaside in Huntsville, who are dominant sires down here. Um, so, you know, the likes of Tough Tilly and all them all hail from the beach line. So he's probably uh, my favorite stallion and probably my favorite horse, just because, um, you know, I, I was closely, um, you know, familiarized with him in North America, but also, um, you know, just just the impact that he continues to have and will have for generations to come. And who's the, uh, out of those ones we've just mentioned, and right now, obviously, we're falling in love with Honolulu Bay. Is he... 
When you look at Honolulu Bay race, he's a big boy. Is he representative of what Sun Beach was like more than Bondi lockdown? I mean, he's thrown a lot of different types. We know Better's Delight is a little bit similar. There's the the chunky, powerful, strong Better's Delights, and then there's the slightly bigger ones. Well, Sun Beach has got all sorts. Which one's most like him? Yeah. Yeah, Honolulu Bay, um, just uh, particularly the stride on them, just, yeah. just the gait. Um, you know, Beach, he can kind of throw them in different shapes and sizes. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Bondi Lockdown looks vastly different than Honolulu Bay. Um, Honolulu Bay, to me, um, largely, I think, too, is is um, National Gallery, the dam, and coming from that yeah. Arts Place line. Uh, well, Bondi Lockdown as well, I think, out of an Art Major Mare. But um, Honolulu Bay just the gait on him in the presence reminds me a lot of beach beach was a big strapping horse, but he had a, he had a massive gait on him, And that's what Honolulu Bay has as well. Stick with us, Greg. We're going to go to the news. I just want to hold you for a little bit longer. We've spoken a lot about breeding and it is breeders week, but you're also in that, um, in that chief executive position at the Riverina Paceway. I just want to discuss that with you briefly, but we'll go to the news, find out what's happening in the world first. You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington. This from Zoe. This is really weird. Led Zeppelin. All my love. From Ro- <laughs> On the Zoe playlist. She's, uh, she's a surprising lady. Uh, we're with Greg Engel right now. It's day two of Breeders Week, and we've spoken a lot about breeding, but you made the move down uh, here, and I, th- I think it was uh, a long-term... You were just looking for the, the, the right role, I think, down under from memory, Greg, and now... Uh, you've taken on a, a really senior position. How's it all going at the moment? Yeah, it's going great, Jace. Uh, actually, today marks the uh, the one year in the job. There so um, really, really pleased with what we've been able to accomplish in the last 365 days. Um, and really kind of getting uh, accustomed to the, you know, the down under culture, um, you know, the way that race meetings are conducted. Um, you know, the, um, the overall prize money and, and everything like that, and kind of just the lay of the land of, of how the, um, the racing industry works. But it's been a phenomenal year. Um, I can't whinge about the weather. It's beautiful um, compared to where I'm from. So, yeah, all systems go. Are you, are you here? I'm assuming you are here for the really long term. And, and that, I guess, feeds back. It's going to be a bit of a theme of today's show. Um, there's going to be different not in New South Wales, but there's going to be a Vic Bread Peel system. And I think there's going to be a greater uh, impetus or drive towards rewarding colonial stallions. When you look at it now, do you sort of look at that situation and say, I tell you what, if I'm breeding, I'm more than happy to go to um, a poster boy or whoever it might be? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Especially when uh, here in New South Wales with the New South Wales uh, breeder scheme um, of of what John and Peter and his team at Harness Race New South Wales have done. I think it's it's a great incentive. I I have a lot of respect for the domicile stallions. Um, I was at Northern Rivers uh, for their open house, um, or not their open house, but uh, uh, their parade on Sunday and had a good look at Poster Boy. I mean, he's a gem. largely North American breeding. But even when you look at the likes of Tiger Terra, um, Tintin in America, um, I have a lot of respect um, for the down under colonial sires. And it's a bit of a shame, Jace, because they don't really get the recognition that perhaps they deserve because of the imported stallions. 
Um, it's a bit of a catch-22 where if they're not imported, then you're going to see, you know, those likes of, um, uh, you know, Tiger Terra get better quality mares and things like that. But um, it is what it is. But, um, you know, in, in a very short period of time, I, I think that you're going to see um, a lot of success from these domicile stallions for years to come. I just wish they, they got a little more attention than they deserve because there are great horses on the track. I think it's one of those situations, isn't it, Greg? And you would have seen this over the journey, particularly playing so many different roles in the game. It's just about breaking established mindsets, and it takes time, doesn't it, sometimes? It doesn't matter whether it's got to do with stallions or any other aspect of racing. Like down here we had, um, you know, we spoke about the evolution of, of the speed game here. Well, it wasn't that long ago that stand starts and long trip racing was the cornerstone of Australasian uh, pacing and trotting. It just takes time to change mindsets, doesn't it? 100% mindset is everything. It doesn't matter if you're in racing or, or some other sport or any or any business. Um, uh, you know, the, the way that you go about doing your business and your mindset is everything. And, and, and educating the breeder um, as well. I, I find that, um, you know, there, there's a lot of breeders out there that particularly um, don't know how good of a horse really was, or especially with a North, North American stallion that might be coming down. So, the education part is, is really, really important. And there's a lot of um, stallions down under that I think offer tremendous value, um, particularly some stallions that uh, were in North America that I watched a race, uh, you know, week in and week out that, that are down here now, true, true champions. Um, but, you know, changing the mindset of people to fully understand exactly, you know, where the product come from and where it is and where that stallion originated, who he beat, how fast he went. Um, you know, it all plays well. And, and again, it comes back to that maternal line to, to provide that great product. Now, the final question before I let you go is an odd one for you, Greg. So being a Canadian, I want to know, I've asked you your favourite horse of all time, your favourite stallion. Who's your favourite Canadian of all time? There's only one right answer here, and I wish you all the best. <laughs> My favourite Canadian. Well, favourite Canadian I, of all time. massive hot. Yes? Best Canadian of all time. Per- person, right? Human? Yes, yes. Oh, I got I got to go with my man Sidney Crosby. Um, he's a he's a famous hockey player. If anybody goes on YouTube, he scored the, scored the gold medal game to beat a Team USA in the Olympics in Vancouver. Um, yeah, that um, yeah, Sydney. A lot of people down here are probably wondering who's Sidney Crosby. Well, you got to go Google him. All right. Um, you, you what, about, what about you? I the, probably the, didn't the, select the right the winner, did I? No, well, but the, but the producer here um, and the man looking after us, um, a great talent, Jordy Canales, gave a nod of the head. So you've got you've got some support in the studio. I just quickly, are you a comedy fan at all, Greg? I don't follow it closely, but. Um, yeah, it's not really something that I that I flick on, but I, I think that's the path you're going down, Jace. Is as, that right? As a passionate Canadian, Norm Macdonald is not only the greatest comedian, but arguably the greatest human who ever lived. Jesus apparently was a good guy, but Norm Macdonald, I think, has him covered. So Norm Macdonald is my uh, favourite Canadian of all time. And I reckon, Greg, you'd be in the top five, mate. I reckon you might be second. Very much appreciate you coming on and giving your insights <laughs> um, from – such a young man, but you've had such a, an extended experience in the industry. Two hemispheres. Can't wait to catch up soon, mate. Yeah, thanks, mate. I, I appreciate the time today, and good luck to all the breeders this breeding season. Uh, I really appreciate the program. Wonderful way to start day two of Breeders Week with Greg Engel. Time for another break. We'll come back with a legend of the sport, a man who we don't get to hear from a hell of a lot. And when we do, we listen the ears prick, Clayton Tonkin. You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington.
Mine's just a little, uh, little um, just chill, Lebo. Yes. Yeah. What a weird, yeah, what a weird little playlist. We've gone from uh, Robbie Williams to Led Zeppelin to Jewel Lieber. God bless America. Right. We're completing the first hour of day two of Breeders' Weekend. We're going cosmopolitan, so we've gone to Canada for a start, and now we're going to go to one of the um, the Aussiest blokes of all time, legend of the sport. Man, we don't hear from a hell of a lot, but when we do, everybody listens. How are you, Clayton Tonkin? How you going, mate? I'm very well. Now, you, you've, you've kind of got this um, mythical... You're a mythical figure within the industry. I, I hear things about you. It's like, you know, you're six foot ten, um, strong as an ox and all the rest of it. And a couple of things we hear. I know breeding in particular. Breeding yourself is not something that I that I think you're totally uh, or wildly passionate about. But I've heard stories about, you know, staying up for hours and hours and hours looking at bloodlines before you go to the sales, trying to find the right crosses and all the rest. And we know, like everybody talks about, your unbelievable I, when you go to the sales, I'll try to get you to explain what that's all about in a moment. But is it true that you put these incredible hours into into finding what you believe could be your next champion? Yeah, well, you know yourself. It's um, you know it, it's your future. You know, so the biggest thing is it's it's a massive, massively important part of you know um, our success. Where each year we just. Um, we keep producing good young horses, and uh, there's no. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's luck. You know, it's it's just one of those things where you put your time and effort into uh, resourcing the right horses for the for the next season each 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 time, and uh, you know it pays dividends. You know, all the hard work you, you go before you get to the sales, and uh, you know you get the right stock. Now, I reckon deep down you are a. Well, I know you are a passionate guy, but there's a pragmatic nature to to doing these bloodlines and everything where you just step away from it and go, I'll tell you what, we'll just go to whoever works the best. But then I feel like you and Emma have had incredible success with two or three stallions in particular. Do you get a little bit addicted and a little bit passionate and like, I just love those stallions and we're going to work to try and get the art majors, the sun beaches, this kind of thing? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's You know, don't get me wrong, I still... I still like to look um, at the individual of horses and all that sort of stuff, but um, when you've had a lot of good horses uh, uh, like Art Majors and uh, Sun Beaches, and you know, um, you know, we've had a fair few good betters and all that sort of stuff. So it's just, you know, I'm sure it attracts you a little bit more closely to them um, if the individuals that um, everything you want. Um, but you, you know yourself, you when you look at some of them stallions. You know they've got faults in them in in themselves, but you just uh, you look at it and you say, oh, well, can we work with them sort of faults? Because you know we've had a lot of good art majors, and uh, they probably haven't been the best conf- had the best confirmation and all that sort of stuff. So their long jeopardy of racing, um, you know, you've got to weigh that up as well. I'll tell you one thing that uh, I think most people would have noticed that follow your horses, you and Emma, is that I'm not saying there's no sort of mid-sized horses, but there's a lot of small nuggety ones that are unbelievable when they're young, uh, and I think of even Pissed Labby as being a really small horse. And then you've got big, big buggers like uh, Major Secret and Honolulu Bay and all the rest of it. I'm assuming as you go into the research and all the rest of it, there's one of them right now, just having a good time. Um, huh. But really, at the end of the day, you're just looking for you're not looking for something absolutely specific, just what you like. Yeah, and you and the biggest thing is what you you're trying to do is buy to the market of your owners as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a, 
I remember when I uh, I had all the fake left horses, like Safari, Robin Hood, all them sort of horses. They were big, massive, like, you know, about 16, 16 three hands. And they were always going to take a little bit more time. And the owners were happy just to take the time, as far as a good young horse. But Robin Hood needed a bit more time. Mm. And, um, you know, and then you'll get other people where, you know, you'll say to them, you know, like we bought Bonavista Bay. He was a rustler Hanover. He was always going to take time. Yeah. Um, um, but then you, you'll get other people um, that want to buy up-and-going horses. Like they say, we want two-year-old types because there's good money in two- and three-year-olds. Um, and they want you to specifically buy, you know, a little bit smaller horse where, you know, up and running families and uh you know we try to we try to cater for everyone sort of thing like that yeah and one of the, one of the big things you know one of the themes of today day two of breeders week clayton is talking about um the emergence of the colonial stallion and i think a couple of times particularly anyone who's been down to the stalls at tabcourt park a couple of times uh where uh, a couple of your big stallions have been having a real good time a party back there uh they wonder why why you uh why do you put yourself through it but i feel like Intentionally or unintentionally, you've been a massive supporter and foundational force in terms of pushing the Colonial Stallion, and hopefully now we're on the precipice of that paying proper dividends. Yeah, well, you know yourself, like, um, we've always had, uh, you know, these good import stallions and all that sort of stuff, and that with all these good records and uh, fast times, but you know yourself, uh, the way our horses, um, you know, and not just ours, like other people's horses have, like Chartin and all them sort of horses have gone over to America and they've actually dominated in their age group. And you say to yourself, why couldn't that be our horses? Like you see horses like Ride High and Poster Boy and, and all them sort of horses with really, you know, really good records where they've they've raced the best horses and um, run good times and all that sort of stuff. But in, it's not to say they couldn't have done that in the States and, and come back out here um, and really you know, they would be a lot more sought after being imported stallions. Like, just they get a bit more of a boom sort of thing where um, their records, uh, they speak for themselves. So, you know, I'm sure we're on the cusp of, um, you know, seeing some of these, you know, really good horses turn into, you know, good stallions because we, we need it. You know, we, uh, you know, some of these older stallions like Better's Delight, Art Major and lots of stuff, you know, you know, they're getting at the end of their sort of their age bracket, you know. It's like I said to uh, Greg Engel a moment ago, like it's a mindset thing, isn't it? You even look back to Safari. Now, if Safari had gotten more better mares, you wonder what he could have done. I, you know, I'm thinking of Berisari and the like. And, and the ones now, I know there's a commercial aspect to it and you're looking after owners and, uh, and breeders that own, but you must have a fair bit of pride as well because – you know that, or you've got a very good idea that horses like Ride High and Poster Boy are going to make a really significant splash at start. And that, that's got to give you and Emma pride to be part of that as well. And I think by doing it, you've half forced HRV into, into running something like the Vic Bread Pure Scheme, which is going to reward these um, progeny of these kind of horses. Yeah, for sure. You know yourself, like some of these stones don't get, um, you know, the top quality mares and you know, because they're a little bit cheaper, um, they get the lesser class mares, and 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 you know it, that's just the way it is. But like I know that we've had a, you know, we always try to get one, um, you know, of one of the progeny and just see, 
you know, um, how they measure up. Like we bought a Bill and Am, um had a Yankee rock stone. We bought it off him, uh, mm. a horse called Rock Artist. And uh, he, he's a lovely horse. Like he, he, you know, and he's another stallion that uh, seems like he's going to do a good job. Like we've only had one of them and uh, he's turned out, turned out a real nice horse and even a horse like Restrepo got hardly any man yeah. you see that relentless mane yeah. um, you know she, she she's a high quality filly you know she uh, you know we, we race against her and uh, you know she turns up every week and uh, you know she's always a hard horse to beat they were the ones that uh, you had to set the tone, basically. So they, they didn't get the opportunities, but now these horses will, as a result of those horses, I reckon. Two very quick questions before I let you go, Clayton. One is, are there any first-season stallions or um, very young ones that you've already got your eye on and you think they're going to be they're going to be good and you're going to be looking for those horses at the sales? Um, I, personally, I I know I'm a little bit biased in that, but I, I, I personally think the poster boy yeah, and right yeah. are going to do a great job. I like you see, um, both them horses are great individuals and that. And you see that, uh, like Poster Boy, you know, being by Sun Beach and that, um, down by the seaside, Huntsville, all the, all of them uh, have done a great job, um, you know, and they're all offsprings of, uh, you know, that Sun Beach line. So, you know, he, he's sort of, he's one that, you know, he's out of an arts place mare, and you say to yourself, you know, he's bred in the purple. Um, you can't see why he wouldn't be, uh, you know, he wouldn't do a great job at stud. We can keep talking about this for another two hours. I could happily do it, but the buzz is beating us. Uh, Clayton, very much appreciate your time, mate. You're a legend and uh, look forward to catching up very soon. Thanks, brother. There he is. Great man. Legend of the game. At a young age, Clayton Tonkin, great to have his insights on day two of Breeders' Week. We'll take a short break. Jordy K is going to do a nice little link up for me so I can go down and get a breath of fresh air and just refuel the lungs and feel good about life. And when we return, we've still got a couple of big guests coming up. Mark Barton from Nutrien and also Karen Brecken from Across the Ditch. She's a big, big name. Her and Ken have done a wonderful job both breeding and owning horses on both sides of the Tasman. So stick with us. Hour two of day two of Breeders' Week coming up. Welcome to Tuesday Trots Live with Jason Bonington on SEN Track. Join the conversation today and text us on 0499 736 736. Welcome back to Tower 2 of Day 2 of Breeders Week here on Trots Live on SEN Track. And I tell you what, don't want to pump my own tyres. I reckon it's the best Breeders Week so far at this point. So it's like a run rate situation. But I reckon we're ahead of the game. Uh, great to chat with Clayton Tonkin and Greg Gangle. Great insight. So if you, if you care about breeding, 0499736736. Um, got to get the text up in front of me just in case there's a few there. And if, you want, if you've got a question about breeding, you can email breedersweek at gmail.com. Breedersweek at gmail.com and all your uh, questions will be answered. Now, quickly. Uh, short seg here. Matty Leopard won't be on today because we are dedicating our week to the breeders, but he's got a few, all at decent prices. Um, at Echuca, Starlight Storm each way, Dallas Nikolai and our artwork. So here they are again, all at decent prices. Starlight Storm each way, Dallas Nikolai and our artwork. And I'm just going to very quickly run through the fields that have now been dropped for Saturday night at Tabcourt Park Mountain 10 races 
highlighted by what is just a freakishly outstanding Caduceus Classic at Group 1 level. But there's multiple Group 1 races. Also, the Opus Group Australasian Trotting Championship. Now, I'll go to the Caduceus first because we've got a superstar from across the Tasman named, copy that, Ray Green, Nathan Jack. Uh, it's drawn the front line, Honolulu Bay, who uh, Greg Engel said earlier, most reminds him of the Australian progeny stars of some beach somewhere off the second row. You'd think one of the two will win, but there's a couple of nice horses there drawn inside, Tango Tara and Torrid Santa flying, uh, rock and roll do. Uh, must have had just a little setback, was scratched last weekend. Will he go west? It was a great first up run. Not sure he gets the front here. When he does find the front in one of these races, he can beat anybody. Max Delight, will he go forward from out there? Maybe you go back, the reigning Victoria Cup champion. Bulletproof boy, I thought was great first up, but draws terribly again. Hulinian's the emergency. I cannot wait for Hulinian to turn up. Uh, back at the races, um, he's uh, he's been beating Bulletproof Boy at the trials. Um, so they're probably copy that, but gee, Honolulu Bay is a freak in the making. Race one, quickly move through these. Um, oh, dear me. Half staying out here, I've got to say. Uh, no, 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 no. I can't help you with race one. That's going to be one of the hardest races to deal with. I might leave that. The way you leave your Brussels sprouts after you eat your steak might not do race one first. Normally do it chronologically. Maybe not when I get home this afternoon. Race two, uh, Mufasa. Metro turns up from outside the front line. And Olavici inside the second row. Battle of the four-year-olds. What a cracker. Um, Kukulain's back. Zaram, yeah, but you'd think. May you Mufasa Metro with the benefit of the draw and the gate speed that he does possess uh, might be able to knock off Olavici. But, geez, Olavici something special. Chris Lang hasn't been backward in coming forward. Two-year-old Phillies race. Um, yep, give me time. Race four, final leg of the early quality catch a wave. Pole marking draw leads and wins. Hooli Nian's there, though. I'm looking forward to seeing him turn up, but he's also uh, engaged for another race maybe on the... Yeah, well, he's only engaged in the uh, in the Caduceus. Race five's the first leg of the quaddy. Um Pulled the other leg, pole marking draw. If he can hold up and keep the front here, I thought it was a career best, well... He's had three runs in Australian soil. That was his first defeat last weekend and his best run. So I think he can win. Australasian Trotting Championship, one of the rare standing start. Real big Group 1 features going around these days. Um, yes, Elder Baron Zeus probably begins okay. I do love Boltzka, but Elder Baron Zeus probably the one to beat Prizzi and Artiste in the race as well. Moldy law off the 10 metres. What a huge challenge. And Adele got a big opinion of her. I thought it was another great run last weekend, even... Uh, even though she was well defeated. We've spoken about the Caduceus, the Vic Bread Platinum Pacer Group 3 level uh, for the Mares. And you would imagine here, Just Hope versus Petionte. Petionte was back to her best or near her best last start, but Just Hope, they're both blazing beginners. That's going to be a good race. And Enchanted Stride might be the beneficiary. If they go nuts over Gutso, then Enchanted Stride's going well enough to nearly, nearly win that race. Race nine is the penultimate on the program on Saturday night at Vicarnas headquarters. And um, could be an opportunity. Well, Argyle's there from New Zealand. He's probably, he's the one to beat, isn't he? You'd imagine. Ray Green's got three runners that he's brought across the Tasman. And race 10 on the card. Oh, dear. Second tier. Metro Maiden type style. $10,000 race. Always hard, these races. Um, better exclusive? Maybe not committing. 
Time for a break. We'll come back and we'll talk to Mark Barton from Nutrient. Day two of Breeders Week. We've already spoken with Greg Gangle, who's the CEO of Riverina Paceway and also a man with a great heritage in the sport from North America. We've spoken to Clayton Tonkin, a legendary co-trainer, um, the best in the state and arguably the best in the country. And now we've got Mark Barton coming up and also Karen Brecken. Stick with us. 50 more big minutes to come from day two of Breeders Week on SEN Track. You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington. Zozo. Who's that? I've never heard this. This is Moby. Lift oh, me up. Moby. Yeah. Who was uh, related to Herman Melville, who uh, wrote Moby Dick. Did you know that, Geordie? No, I did not. That's what I'm here for. There you go. The White Whale. Fun fact. Fun fact with Javon. It's my new show from <laughs> five till six. Happy hours gone, so fun facts with Javon. No, it won't, won't be happening. Our next guest, day two of... Breeders Week here on Trot's Life on SEN Track is the National Livestock Director at uh, Landmark and also uh, Nutrient Equine, and that's Mark Barton. How are you, Mark? Yeah, really well, thanks, mate. How are you? Oh, I'm terrific, mate. Um, really excited to be talking about breeding all week, and it's, uh, I, I look back to only a couple of years ago when uh, you and Nutrient uh, embarked on this um, treacherous, adventurous journey, and look, I can only imagine you feeling really good about what's transpired between then and now, because it's been a, a very quick progression. And racing, harness racing, it's never easy to get the um, the patronage and the trust of an industry. And I think it's happened relatively quickly. Is that is that how you're feeling as well? Yeah, look, it's it's uh, it's been a a, oh, a busy couple of years, I guess, to get to where we are now. But it's you're right. I think it's it's a conservative market. The people in the industry, uh, it's a lot of people that are in harness racing. Uh, second, third generation. So, so for a new business or a new group of people to come in, it takes time, I guess, to like yeah, you know, touch and feel you and, and get to know who we are. Um, where we've we've got to in a short time, I think we have. Yeah, the teams work hard, but I think um, the market's been happy to give us a go too, which has been a big big help. And yeah, you know, the first sale was you know, a couple of years ago, and we're now looking at well four sales this year, so it has grown quickly. Now, you've got great partnerships with a number of the kindred bodies that make up harness racing, and it's absolutely critical and crucial and integral. We know that. But in terms of the breeders themselves, I mean, how much work is done there uh, in terms of educating, in terms of uh, working with the breeders themselves? Because really, I mentioned right off the top of today's show, the breeders, despite being the cornerstone of the industry, they live in their shadows in a way, don't they? I mean, they're doing their hard work at home, on farms um, with um, with uh, mere situations where they're up all night, they've got the clock on, and they're doing the hard work. But do you, on the ground, do you have a close association with them in terms of letting them know what's required to to probably get their best result if they are going to take a, a commercial perspective at the sales? Yeah, look, def- definitely. I think one of the important things for us is we, we've seen a, a changing of the guard. I guess you've got Art Major and Better's Delight that really has dominated those two sides of dominated breeding in Australia. And we're looking at a catalogue of horses over the four sales this year that'll probably be nearly 40% of those will be um, uh, colonial size. So you've, yeah, what where people bred in the past was always, look, will they accept that horse into the sale? Um, 
we're probably keen to see that next superstar is probably going to come from one of these lesser known horses and we still need the international horses to, to give us that flavour as well but I, I think our, our involvement, yeah, not telling them what horses to breed to, but know that they've got the confidence to try something, that there is a market there for it. And like I say, getting up towards 40% of the horse this year will be domestically bred stallions. So I think that's uh, that's exciting for the Australian market. And what's the process working with these breeders, particularly, say, um, you've got a, a smaller breeder that goes to a colonial stallion, a little bit cheaper. We, we've spoken about mindset a couple of times with Greg Gangle and Clayton Tonkin about changing the mindset and trying to do it rapidly to sort of alert people to the fact that these colonial stallions, they are the sons of the great North American size that we followed for a long period of time. Um, how do you educate the breeders in terms of giving themselves the very best opportunity? I know that Nutrien would help a hell of a lot in terms of um, the videos that they produce and the opportunity to showcase your horse as well as possible. But how do they go about that process of making sure that even though they might be going to a lower profile sire, A, they're going to get in the sales, which you've already mentioned, big tick, but B, that they're going to get something out of it when they go. Yeah, look, I think that's a, it's an interesting one too. You've got um, a lot of horses that um, you know, value for money, I guess. You know, one, one here local, I'm based in Wagga, Tintin in America, I think stood last year at about two grand. But, you know, we saw, we saw Progeny um, winning on the track, but... We've seen progeny in the yearling sales making up to seventy thousand. So it's yeah that return on investment. Um, different um, stables have different um, benchmarks, but if you can get a horse that you can get four and five times uh, a service fee, I think that's where you get real value. And I think uh, the other thing, talking colonial size, other than the Miracle Mile, I think most of the the, the high value races are over distance. And yeah, the North American horses only run over the mile. So I guess some of these colonial sales are proven also to be able to manage and run over distance. Like our recent sale uh, races at Menanga last week, um, you know, those horses were running distance, even the two-year-olds. So I think that's something that, that when people are looking at their breeding options and people racing horses looking at their options, that they're looking for horses that have that versatility. Well, you're now going to have the sole Victorian sale, uh, sale, at least this is what I'm told I'm pretty certain I'm right there. So having that breadth of um, of opportunity for both the vendors and the buyers, because I'll be honest with you, Mark, I haven't had a huge history at the sales, but I went to a couple last year. And I, one thing I really noticed is that the really smart operators, the people at the top of the tree, all really honed in on a few that they desperately wanted. And so they created this um, this massive hubbub and everyone was having a crack at them. But if you've got that breadth, then there's going to be more people, isn't there, coming to the sales and thinking to themselves, well, I'm going to leave, um, um, I'm going to leave the big guns, the Don Martellos and, and, uh, and the people who buy for Emma Stewart and whoever it might be to one side and I'm going to focus on this part of the sale because this is where I think I can get some value for money. Look, I think with numbers too, look, we've got catalogues just over 300 for Melbourne, which will be a two-day sale, uh, the 2nd and 3rd of April. Now, that in itself means that there's going to be a horse for, for every every price yeah. bracket. I guess you're, you're seeing your top-end horses, you know, 150s, 60s there last year. Um, I think there's going to be horses that you'll still buy between, you know, 10 and 20,000. And the, the, the I guess that the other thing we talked about, with breeders, one thing, I guess, which is it, it's it's a hard one to try, try and educate a market, but I think the cost of producing these horses have gone up probably 20% in the last couple of years. Um, just if you look at input costs with you know, chemical, fertiliser, labour, diesel, et cetera, et cetera, I think 
you know, we were averaging 35,000 last year, and I guess that was one of our challenges. How do we get the owners, the trainers, and the buyers of horses to recognise that a horse making 35 really needs to make 40 for that breeder of horses to get the same net return and still produce an, an exceptional racehorse? And I think that's you mentioned before, the cornerstone of the industry. Um, if you look at the economic impact of the, of the industry, uh, the, the breeding base would be well over half of that, probably two-thirds of it, I'd guess, would be all the effort and, um, and, and, and value that gets put into these young horses before they become racehorses. Well, I spoke about it earlier, uh, Mark, and really you, you, you yourself and Nutrien are at the very cornerstone of what makes the industry tick because so often uh, we look at, for some reason, in harness racing and racing in general – We'll pick out one thing that we reckon, oh, if we can sort this out, everything will be great. If we can look after our owners better, and of course you need to look after owners better. If we can look after training, yes, all of it. But at the end of the day, if there's not horses and a certain number of quality horses going around, you don't have a product. It, it, it all comes down to what happens in the breeding barn and what happens at the sales, doesn't it? Because if we don't get that right and we don't support breeders and make life a little bit easier for them, we just don't have – it's like not having enough athletes to play in the AFL. 100%. And I think if you start looking at even the New Zealand market at the moment, you know, they're seeing a contraction in their, in their broodmare band. Um, the challenge also for the Australian market, you get – mares, once they get to, say, four-year-old, there's not a lot out there on the track for them. So you do have a fairly lucrative market to see those better mares sold to the, sold to the state. So that breeding base of the Australian broodmare band, we want to try and retain those. Um, so I guess if we look at what are the things that we can do, number one, we do need a, an outstanding band of um, <clears throat> mares in Australia so we can keep producing quality horses. Uh, and I think that we're talking about colonial and international sires, but we can't underestimate, you talk about people honing in on horses, it's that mare strength, that that mare where you see three and four you know, um, exceptional uh, horses on a page. And I think that's that's one thing that the Australian... Um, yeah, broodmare band is really, really um, high quality. It's it's world class. We we um we need to make sure we protect that. And like I say, if there's more opportunities for mares on the track, that's a, a better chance of them being retained in Australia as breeding mares after that. Yeah, we just can't lose too many to America. It just happens all the time, doesn't it? Unfortunately, but there are potentially ways around it. Talk to me, Mark, about the trotters versus paces because uh, we know, typically speaking, at the sales has been. Um, you know, a smaller amount of trotters. I think maybe in Melbourne after the Hunter Cup, you might have started with the trotters from memory, but it's not going to be too far around the corner, is it, where I'm not saying 50-50, but edging towards that and the prices are going to go up. And I feel personally for breeders at the moment, if I was breeding or buying, I'd be I'd be far more tempted to get into the trotters in, in, in many ways because there's huge opportunities and it's a market that isn't quite as saturated. Look, I think that the trotting gate, um, we've actually combined both our, our paces and trotters on the one weekend now just to, to make sure that there was, it was inclusive. And I think the buyer, and particularly those stables, a lot of the you know, main stables these days have tra- uh, trotters and paces in their stables. So it's the same you know, trainer that's probably buying a few, a few of each. is always specialists. Um, with Yabby Dam, Pat Driscoll and his team, they've been fantastic support for us. And I think you, know, you look at the, look, the likes of... Um, you know, his draft of horses and the Aldebaran draft, you know, you've got to, we'll probably get out of 300, we'll be getting towards a third, I guess, this year. Um, we'll be trotters in Melbourne. We'll have a handful in Sydney and a handful in Brisbane. But I think the opportunities, you say, are right. Like you see um, our, our race uh, for two-year-old 
trotters there the other day was um was it was there was only the the ten entries so every horse that went there well if you ran tenth you got three and a half thousand for turning up I think so it was you know there, there's value there for people to buy one and play with them too. Well, for those who don't know, and most people who are listening will, but we've got to cover for for everybody who's listening to Trots Live today and to Breeders Week. Um, a huge, and I've used this term too many times, so I'll, I'll never say the word cornerstone again after today's interviews, but the cornerstone here is to give people opportunities to win the really big money, and we saw those race uh, series come to a culmination up at Tabcourt Park, Menangle. Um, I know from Harness Racing Victoria, a really hard-working guy named Andrew Perchin, who's just started with the organisation, was up there, I think, as a guest of Nutrien, and these are so important, aren't they? Because yep. you need to go to the sales both with, you know, an economic rationality that, you know, you, you want to get some value for money, but also the dream must be there. Oh, absolutely. Look, I, I think um, all of us, they don't all make two-year-olds. I think, um, you know, one that we've got ourselves, like I've got a horse start, has, having, having its first start uh, this afternoon at Menangle. Um We'd loved him to get up as a two-year-old for that race series, but he just wasn't ready. And I think that's the other thing. We've look at where the prize money is: 175 for two-year-olds, but we've got a hundred thousand dollar three-year-old race. Um, and we're looking at maybe spreading that a little bit more evenly, so horses don't get pushed too hard. I'd rather have a quality horse at three than cook a horse at two. Um, but like you say, you got a two-year-old filly next year. Um, you go back to uh, to uh, Victoria, where our race series will be. You're, you're chasing $175,000, and I think that's the other one. I, I, I see real value in the fillies at these sales. Um, I think some of the top you know, owners do really focus on the cult, uh, and I think there's an opportunity to, to buy value very well-bred mares um, or fillies that will become great brood mares later on, and uh, the prize money's the same in those early, those two and three year old race series for um, for the nutrient series. So, Mark, before I let you go, just give a brief explanation of what is required to get into the sales for breeders who are um, right now getting very excited at this time of year. What, what what do you need to do to get into the nutrient sales here in Victoria or right around the country? Yeah, well, look, our entries closed. Um, what last week now? But we've, we've, what we do is they go online. People go to nutrientequine.com.au. <clears throat> they can go in there, register themselves as a breeder, uh, set up an account, and then basically just put in your um, your, your microchip numbers, or in the old days, your um, um, you, you you put your um, your, your breeding details in there. Uh, the system will then help them put that that horse in. Uh, we'll then get. Uh, Alan Parker from WA, he'll do an extended pedigree page, so the clients will get a look at that, make sure their maturities, et cetera, that they're eligible for are paid up, and we'll get that catalogue out online in October and go to print after Breeders' Crown because there's quite a lot of updates you know, come as a result of that. So, um, yeah, so if, they, if there's someone out there listening that hasn't done it, um, we have closed If They did give me a call. They'll find my details on the... Um, uh, Nutrient Equine website, and yeah, we'd certainly work them through it. As well as Bathurst, we leave open until the end of November, um, which those horses at Bathurst will also be uh, eligible for the Nutrient Series if people want to pay them up. It's that kind of um, support and openness that I think, uh, again, I spoke about the trust that people are already getting in Nutrient. That's the kind of thing where people now still feel that they can they can get in touch with you via the Nutrient website and potentially you know get help because I think that's been Another thing, it's a really – everything in racing, Mark, particularly harness racing and even more particularly breeding, it's 
if you're not involved, it feels really complex, doesn't it? I mean, it feels like something that's maybe a bridge too far. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be able to do it. But if we've got people like Nutrien helping Harness Breeders Victoria, Harness Racing Victoria, Harness Racing New South Wales, everybody on the same page that are willing to help people get in, that's how you broaden the church, in my opinion. Yep. Oh, 100%. And look, we've... we've um uh, we haven't made an, uh, an announcement of it, but we're actually really pleased to get John Coffey. He's going to come on board as a as a consultant to us, for, as a breeding and um, um, sales consultant for this next season. Um, you know, John had been yeah, heavily involved in um, in sales and working with APG in the past, so he's he's agreed to come on board. And with that in mind, people that are looking for where do I breed these mares? He's one guy that that you know he's got forty plus years experience in the industry doing just that. Um, and trying to just help people exactly preparing, finding a preparer, making sure multi-vendor sales your horses do have to stand up against the others in the catalogue. So, you know, how does the horse look? So that, that type of thing. So people are confident when they get to sale time that they haven't left um, any stone unturned. Absolute legend of the industry, John Coffey. Unfortunately, as a stallion himself, one of his progeny is Brett, which means that he was a little bit of a flop. At st- no, I love Brett Coffey. Great. Great fella, and uh, and another bloke is doing a hell of a lot of good in the industry, particularly from a breeding <laughs> perspective. Uh, Mark, it's been great having a chat, mate. Enjoy. Just last question, off the top of your head, Melbourne sales, can you give us the dates? I know they're a little way away, obviously, but when they will be? Yeah, look, we'll, we'll sell on we'll sell on Saturday, uh, Sunday the second of April, yep. and Monday the third of April. So we'll we'll have our um, our parade will be um, will be the first, um, and then we'll, we'll sell on the second and third. So because of three hundred horse, there will be a two day event, and roughly half the half the catalogue each day, maybe just a bit more than half. But yeah, the the, the second and the third of April, um, and yeah, that'll that'll be pretty well. Well, from the beginning of March right through this. I think four sales in five weekends. So it's it's going to be a busy busy time on the eastern seaboard with what nearly seven hundred horses to get sold. Very 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 exciting time. Really appreciate your time, Mark. Um, we'll catch up soon. Sounds great, mate. Really appreciate yours. There's Mark Barton from Nutrien Equine. We're going to go for another break. We're going to find out what's happening in the world. Actually, more news. And I didn't want to mention it with Greg that terrible stuff in Canada. But um, old mate, it was. Rolling around doing a bit of damage. I think he's uh, no longer with us. We'll be back soon with Karen Brecken. This is Day 2 of Breeders Week on Trot's Life on SEN Track. You're listening to Tuesday Trot's Life with Jason Bonington. Zoe's uh, music playlist on Spotify. Quite diverse, really. Day two of Breeders' Week here on Trot's Life on SEN Track. It's been an absolute perler, but like Vanessa Williams, we've saved our best for last. Karen Brecken, how are you? 
I'm very good, thank you. Now, I said right off the top of the show, um, breeding, some people say it's really hard, it can be difficult, you have heartbreak, but every time I've ever seen you and Ken, you're both smiling all the time, so it can't be that hard. <laughs> it's diff- I tell you what, you can't be a breeder without tears. <laughs> <laughs> you must, you, we, you must um, hide them very well. You look like you're, you're, you're uh, crying with laughter at, at worst, but it is a, um, it's not for the faint-hearted, is it? It's not for the faint-hearted. But um, you've got to celebrate those wins, and when they come along, uh, it's just the most exciting feeling that you can never have as a breeder. You see them the day they're born, and then by the time they get to the races, I mean, you've put your heart and soul into it. It's just fantastic. There's nothing better. Well, I was going to save this for a, um, a little bit later, this question, but it's a nice little segue. I know you and Ken have got an operation which is – uh, split in many ways. You keep uh, many that you breed, but you've also got a commercial aspect where you sell them. How hard is it for you to sell the kids? <laughs> um, we have a really good formula, actually. Um, what we do is we keep the fillies and we sell all the colts. So if you ever see Ken and I racing colts, it's only because they might have hurt themselves at the sale, uh, before the sales and we couldn't put them through the ring. Um, we only race fillies. But in saying that, I also am in a syndicate where we race outside um, horses with a group of us. And that's for our pleasure, because we can't really ever keep colts. We're, we're mainly, um, we keep the fillies. And, and that we do syndication for um, our fillies to get uh, keep our uh, mares relevant and up to date. And... Um, that's been a real success for us. We've um, managed to, um, you know, do the syndicates. We have a, 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 a situation where we have, um, we pick about five or six fillies that we're going to keep and um, we, uh, we do a syndicate and everyone buys in, so it's, they lease the mare. So they, we only race till the end of their four-year-old season, and then they come back to the farm. Gee, that, that, that would make life a lot easier. So you've got a really quite uh, – I'm sure, you know, exceptions prove rules, don't they? So I'm sure there have been exceptions. But generally speaking, you've got a really um, – quite a rigid uh, process in place so that you know exactly yes. how you're going to go about everything that you do. Yes, exactly. But in saying that, you know, sometimes you'll have um, some nice fillies and you've kept too many of the family and then you've got to sell those as well because also you can't have too many mares of the same family. So it's actually really great to have diversity, so different families um, going forward because you want to keep uh, the buyer happy and the trainer happy with something different. Now, uh, for those who don't know, and again, most of our listeners will know everything about, well, a lot about Brecken Farms and about Brecken Bloodstock, but we go back quite a way here. Let the listeners know your heritage in the game, where you started. Uh, I reckon it was about 2007 you, you purchased Yardley Farms and uh, had a number of really good horses. And for those who don't know, when you see, they're almost like bone crusher colours, the big B um, uh, yeah. with, the, with the brown colours. That, that's you guys. Yes, that's us, that's us. And, you know, I mean, that's a classic, you know, you were talking about keeping um, horses. We kept, I can, well, didn't keep, I can do that. Honestly, I was so devastated. He ran through the fence um, two weeks before, 
or about a month before the sale and had a massive hole in his leg. And he was like a, a 50-50 proposition of whether he would ever race. So obviously we had to keep him and we nursed him through. And he became, he, he won 18 out of 18. Is that one thing you've noticed? 18 that, races in a row. Is that one thing you've noticed at a couple of Inter-Dominions? Um, is that one thing you've noticed over the journey? So everyone's looking for um, the perfectly conformed horse. Everyone's looking for the one that's had absolutely no problems through the breaking in process. Um, like you must, <laughs> that, have, you must have learned what, that, it's a myth. That, yeah, that's so funny because, you know, I see, uh, you know, when I'm selling a horse myself, and you, I mean, you, you can try whatever you like as a breeder. You get them to the sale. You're trying to make them look the best. And, you know, it's not necessarily the the most correct horses or the correct looking horse is going to win, win, you know? like yeah. it, it, It's a strange thing, but it is a funny thing because everyone has their thing that they like about a horse, and I'm the same. I, You know, people say, well, which one do you like, Karen? I, I have a certain thing that I like about a horse too, you know? Like I like a nice eye and I like, you know, um, confirmation and, you know, a, a beautiful head, you know? That's a big thing. But I always laugh, you know, because uh, that... I used to, uh, another horse that I loved, a friend of mine, and they called her Ugly Betty. She was the <laughs> ugliest head ever. You know, but she she won a lot of races for my friends, you know, so you never know. But it's, you've just got to go with your gut. From memory, uh, I don't want to knock him, it sounds awful because he's just uh, he, uh, just retired and um, we memorialised him, well, his racing career the other night, but from memory, uh, a horse like Tornado Valley wasn't exactly... Um, well, he wasn't going to be on the front of GQ magazine or EQ. Um, no, Equine exactly. Quarterly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, now, tell tell me, uh, you've sort of given us half an insight, but what 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 do you look for personally? And are there are there stallions or bloodlines that you've be, you found yourself uh, more attracted to than others? Yes. Well. Um, well, relevant for for Australia is King of Swing. You know, um, when we bred when we bred him, and the day he was born, I knew that he was going to be something special. His attitude around the farm, he was cruisy. He was a big boy. He just was absolutely lovely. But it's quite funny. He wasn't exactly um, very popular because he was a. Um, he was a rock and roll Hanover mm. and rock and roll Hanover isn't like, he wasn't like the most popular um, cult at the time or sire at the time, but he had the magic cross. He had the rock and roll Hanover over an arts place near mm. and that is a massive cross. And I just loved him and told quite a few people to buy him, but he went to a, he went to a great home and then he went to Australia and I mean, look at him. He's just, incredible i mean i was talking to luke mccarthy we went over to the brisbane races and the the horse is just so cruisy he's got a lovely gait he's just uh, all i mean he was appropriately named you know he was just amazing well all all day pretty much on day two of breeders week we've spoken about um the importance of the maternal line too we get caught up in size it's um that male toxicity or something, I think, Karen. We talk about the men all the time, but yes. it's uh, the maternal line and like twist and twirl. Like from memory, I'm, I'm pretty certain was the dam of King of Swing, and uh, she was wonderful. In fact, yes. if anything, um, she was probably even more talented 
than we saw in the racetrack. She ran some amazing races, but she was even better than that. Absolutely. And when you get that maternal line, that that often means more than what, whichever stallion you go to regardless. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, she's doing a wonderful job. She's just got a two-year-old over here, actually, at the moment. Um, he's a, We went to a rock and roll dance because that's, at the Great Cross, and we sold him at the sales, and he's racing with a two-year-old over here, and doing. He's looking magnificent as well, and he looks like he's going to be something special. And also, um, better twist. I can't. I can't forget her. Oh. You know, um, she she was just phenomenal. I mean, she in New Zealand, she was Horse of the Year here in New Zealand, and at the same time, King of Swing was Horse of the Year in Australia. And I think on both sides, and I don't know if it's ever been done by a breeder, but both sides of the Tasman, um, they were the biggest money earners in Australia and in New Zealand. Well, hey. Now, not everyone, uh, I, I'm not going to give away your, your personal financial details, you and uh, Ken, Karen, but not every, <laughs> you're, not, you're, not quite, you're not quite short of a quid, so not everyone can do exactly what you've done, but if you were going to give advice to people wanting to get into the game with all that success that you have had and you've just mentioned um, record-breaking performance between Better Twist and King of Swing, what would be some of the fundamentals for a breeder? Yeah, so the fundamentals, because, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty tough out there because land's more expensive now and um, you know the stallions can get expensive but you can do it smartly you know like you can you've got to have a business plan and that is the big thing because you make mistakes yeah and Kevin and I have made terrible mistakes and you know and I've had the tears and um, but we turned it around and don't give up. You know, go with your gut, have a business plan, decide what you're going to do. And like I said, we wouldn't have been able to be this successful. And, yet, you know, you say that because, I mean, isn't it funny? There are incidents incidents when people have so much money and they throw money at it and they still don't win. More often you know? than not. Um, More often so, than not, Karen, as we know. Yes. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a funny thing, you know, um, and, and yes, we're financially um, well off, but um, also we put our heart and soul into it. It's not something that we just flippantly do. It's, it's nothing like that. We work really, really hard to be successful. Well, racing and harness racing are both littered with stories of um, a fool and his lasagna are soon parted, as Garfield would say, but um, of people coming in with huge amounts of money and thinking they can dominate the game in five minutes. It's just... If there's any sport in the world you can't do that with, it's racing and harness racing, isn't it? Because you've got to do the hard yards, you've got to do the research, and you've got to do the hard work, and you've got to connect yourself with the right people as well. I think this is one of the crucial aspects, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, 100%. You know, um, there's a lot more to it than, than just money. You know, like there's sometimes, actually it was quite interesting, I was buying horses because our, our super syndicate, I was buying a horse down in... Um, Christchurch and bought a wee filly you know actually I bought um, a couple that year and it was interesting because Mark uh, you know we were looking around and Mark said go and have a look at this filly and I was like oh so anyway we had a look at her and we picked her up for um, for 30,000 so um, you don't necessarily have to buy the top lots you know there are I mean look at Al Mac Al Mac Gene Feast bought Al Mac off Ken and I for 25 Mm. grand yeah, well, and um, and having and she has gone along and 
she's won 600,000, you know, so it, it can be done. And we just actually, last season or the year before, we we went down and um, bought the three-quarter sister to spank him for 25,000. It's incredible, really, when you th- think about it, particularly in the, these days. Yeah, can't, so can't, you, yeah. Can, you can... Sorry, you know, so there are there are bargains to yeah. be had. Oh, I mean, no, it's yeah. not great as a breeder to be selling, you know, and and none of us like it. But there just might be something that that no one well actually she you know there, there was something that everyone else doesn't like that I like, you know, and that's just the way it goes. Yeah, and you... and hey, and it, it happens to Ken and I as well, you know. I think it's actually as a breeder, it's more stressful when you sell a horse, for, you know, over a hundred grand, yeah. and you hope that it's successful for them. Well, <laughs> I, think, know, I, 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 I didn't have a problem with, you know. Selling them for twenty five, then if they go, go well, they go well, or or to buy them for twenty. Yes. Exactly, you know, you did, you did yes. right. And Mark, we were discussing exactly. before. Mark Purden, of course, and he's a great man to have in your corner. Just before I let you go, a couple more quick ones, and uh, this isn't to uh, put a damper on a very fun and enjoyable chat, but just discussing earlier with Mark Barton from Nutrien. New Zealand. Now, Australia's obviously being massacred by the American market to some degree. New Zealand's always had. Um, uh, multiple uh, monsters hanging around the world. And it's it's all part of the game. Australians get a lot of New Zealand horses and, and now uh, America as well. And when you've got that proliferation or preponderance of mares and you need to get rid, rid of a few, that open market really works extremely well. But is the breeding game in okay shape in New Zealand? Because we need it to be. Everyone needs it to be. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and I agree with you, you know, it's so sad to see them, um, you know, flicking over over to America. You know, these horses, they go to the trials and they're going to be something good and then they're flicked for a couple of hundred thousand to America or, or even to Australia. Um, and then when, you know, the likes of um, even breeders trying to find a, a new horse, um, one that's been up and going, I mean, that's getting tougher and tougher because they're, they're, they're short on breeders in America as well. Um, but for Ken and I, no, we're going forward. We're going ahead. Um, we're building new stables and um, we're not going to sell our, our mares. I mean, we, we we believe in it, you know. And, um, yes, I mean, you can get that negative side of, oh, it's terrible. But you want to go and have a look at some other industries. Imagine being a, a pilot or an air hostess or, you know, there's other industries that, that suffer as well. You've just got to... Keep your eye on the game and keep going, I feel. I mean, if you start looking sideways and back, well, you're never going to get anywhere, are you? I couldn't agree with you more, or a newspaper journalist, or a lot of other. Um, I was going to ask you one more question, but I don't need to. I was going to say, are you as passionate about the game now as you have ever been, or even more? But I think I know my answer. It's yes. Oh. Karen, you're a legend. We've yeah, got to go I to... think you know the answer. Yeah, I do. We've got to our final break, but it's been wonderful chatting with you, and I can't wait to get over to New Zealand, hopefully for the Cup, and, and catch up with you and Ken when I get there. Oh. Can't wait for all the Australians to come on over. Good on you, Karen. We love, we love the Australians. And we love you too. Good on you, Karen. Okay, thanks that's, a lot. That's Karen Brecken from Brecken uh, Bloodstock and Brecken Farms. Final break, or sort of, there's going to be two pretty quickly, I'll be honest with you. Back in a moment, day two of Breeders' Week, coming to a close. You're listening to Tuesday Trots Life with Jason Bonington. Welcome back. We've got about a minute to go, so here's some text. Um, Jason, the sooner you run a deep dive podcast, the better. Cheers, Anthony. You cover all sorts of topics. 
Oh, I like the idea, Anthony. Just got to find a bit of time in the uh, schedule and uh, wouldn't mind getting it going. I know you're not doing the Gallops Pond, but that first of all, we can get staff need to vent. Wish I found one of those exotics, Kev the Carpenter. Good on you, Kev. And um, for Big Fella, uh, I went too quickly through uh, the Big Cat's tips. So here they are, Big Fella. All at decent prices at Chuka, Starlight Storm, Each Way, Dallas Nikolai, and our artwork. Everyone's here. Campbell Brown, the Brown Dog's about to come in the studio uh, to start trackside. Well done, everyone. Good on you, Geordie. And um, JD, hope you're getting better at home. Sorry you got a sniffle. I've been sick for three months. Keep turning up. Anyway, uh, au revoir, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed day two of Breeders' Week. I think it's the best we've ever done, and that's being typically humble. Au revoir. Enjoy the rest of the day.